the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 3, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Since this podcast is hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language. So if there are sensitive ears around you, be sure to pop in some headphones before you listen. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are talking to Abdu Ali, who is a Baltimore-based musician, writer, and multidisciplinary artist. Are you based exclusively in Baltimore, or are you also based elsewhere? Yeah, right now I am exclusively based in Baltimore, but usually I'm always traveling between like Berlin, Brooklyn, and Baltimore. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Of course. Um, would you mind letting our listeners know a little bit about yourself, your work background, the art that you make, um, and kind of your creative journey thus far? Yeah, so I'm based in Baltimore, born and raised in Baltimore. I began my art practice in, I want to say, 2012. That's when I started being like serious. Well, I ain't going to say serious. That's when I first realized that I wanted to be an artist in 2012. I was still mm-hmm. in school. Um, pursuing an English degree at the University of Baltimore. I want to say, yeah, music is what got me into everything that I'm doing now. So music was the first thing that um, inspired me to be an artist. At the time, when I was in school, I I obviously wanted to be a writer because I was doing an English creative writing degree. But I felt like at the time, I didn't feel like writing was something that grasped me like 100%. It wasn't something that really just, I don't know, made me feel alive and like something that I diligently wanted to work on every day and as a job and as a career. For me, it feels more like a personal practice versus a career practice. And so I was like, okay, what should I do? I know how to write. I like to write poetry, but I also like to write songs here and there too. So maybe I should try doing music. And I got with a producer in Baltimore um, named Schwartz at the, at the time, and I just sent him my lyrics because I didn't have anything else like but like my lyrics because I wasn't a musician before, music artist before. So all wow. I had was like the songs that I was writing, you know, to myself. I always use like I don't know if you watch Insecure and, and or like the Awkward um, Black Girl by Issa, Issa Rae, and one of the things that she does a lot in the show is like go in the bathroom and, like, rap to herself and, like, sing to herself these songs mm-hmm. that she's written that are usually kind of, like, self-empowering, like, anthems to hype herself up and to get herself together. And that's what I was doing, basically, <laughs> at the time. So all I had was these lyrics, and I sent him these lyrics, and I was like, I hope he responds and, like, wants to work with me because I don't have anything else with this. And he read the lyrics and was like, yo, these lyrics are crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is this is, like absurd and beautiful yes let's get in the studio and i'll never forget the first time i recorded it just felt so freeing it felt so liberating and i was just hooked immediately i was like this is it and so from there i just took off and i started performing i you know lived in new york here and there 
it was like, you know, if I want to be seen, I got to go to New York. So, like, <laughs> I started trying to perform in New York and everything and stuff started to work out for me. And I started to gain a presence in, like, the underground music scene in Brooklyn, particularly. And, you know, in the underground LGBTQ music scene in, in New York. And that community really um, responded to me and my music. And, yeah, it just popped off from there. And I always wanted to make sure that I injected, like, my my hometown sound, my culture, the, the culture that I grew up on, the music that I grew up on in my music, which is Baltimore club music and house and, like, put a mix of techno, too. And so, um, yeah, I started basically making mostly only, like, Baltimore club tracks that kind of had, like, a hip-hop influence in it and maybe, like, a punk influence in it, too. No, not maybe. It did have a punk influence in it. And then from there, I just started experimenting more because I was always like, I want to create my own sound, the Abdu Ali sound. And, you know, a few years go by and I start really getting into, like, the production of my stuff, finding my voice, finding my production style. And I released my first album titled Mongo in 2016 that caught uh, a lot of attention um, from people. And that kind of, like, boasted me, boosted me to, like, tour and perform across the nation, but also in Europe. And then I released, I call it like an official debut studio album because Mongo was pretty DIY. And like, basically I recorded that whole album in my room, but Fire, which came out last year, uh-huh. um, I recorded in the studio. It was very official. You know, I'm a tour now. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm established. I'm grown. I got some coins. I got investment. I want some grants, get some residencies. And so now I'm like, okay, this is like the official studio album. And that came out last year. And a lot of people really liked it. But that's basically a good synopsis of like my journey, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I, I didn't realize you, I not came into music so late, but really just sort of first um, started thinking of yourself as a musician as, as late as 2012. Where, would you say that? music was a huge part of your life growing up was that you know really influential or something that you had ever envisioned for for yourself you know going down as a a path I was always I was like yeah I was super obsessed with music and and performance the performance of music I grew up in the church the black church and Mm -hmm. my favorite part about church was the choir and just not even like I was nowhere caring about the religious aspect of church, <laughs> obviously. And um, what always caught me was the choir and the beautiful sounds that came out of the choir's mouths and like mm. the choir director and the and the I don't know the visceral performance, the call and response, and also Baltimore club music was huge in the nineties. House music was huge in the nineties, and that was the score. That's that sound was the score of my youth you know it was mm. it was everywhere i heard it every day it was on the radio every day and you you heard it at every family cookout block party parades at the club at the kitty disco you're going to hear baltimore club music wherever there is like people conjuring together to celebrate something or just to just to exist and for me i feel like it was a way for me to escape and also just to connect with my community you know at the time when I was young, I didn't realize that, you know, I was a queer kid, obviously, but a lot of a lot of the times the music is what helped me relate to other kids in my community 
and have good positive times with other kids in my community. So for me, it's it just the sound and the culture uh, around the sound holds a very significant spot in my heart and, and just like my inspiration and like my influence as an artist in general and not even just music, but, you know, just existing as an artist and what it means to be an artist, you know, beyond just I feel like artists are supposed to tell the truth. And I feel like artists are also supposed to bring people together, bring community together, and to create spaces for people to liberate themselves and feel, like, empowered. Mm. You feel me? So, yeah, it's always been a part of my life and a big, big, profound, like, impact on, like, who I am as a person. Yeah. So how did you go from starting to picture yourself as a musician to starting to to cross that bridge into performing yourself, what did that look like? And what were some of those initial events or you know things that you were starting to do um, to make that shift from just being a participant to being more of a performer? Well, it, it, funny enough, it started immediately. I don't know what, I'm trying to tell y'all when I got <laughs> into that studio for the first clicked. time. I got a whole timeline for y'all. I got this specific timeline. So <laughs> in December, December 2011, that's when I was like, okay, let me try this music thing. Let me reach out to this producer. 2012, January. January 2012 is when we recorded the song. And I was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is it. Like, this is what I want to do. This is my life. And from there, my friend also launched his magazine, an independent magazine called True Laurel. And he had a launch party for it, and he wanted me to perform. And I was like, really? This was like in March 2012. I was like, really? You want me okay. to perform? Okay, let's do it. And then I performed, <laughs> and that was a whole nother, like, I don't know, tr- like trippy, uh, orgasmic experience that just woke me up. And I was like, okay, this is really what I want to do. Like, beyond just recording the music, like, being on stage is what I really want to do. You know, like, this is what, this is, this is where I belong on stage. Yeah. And so from there, I was like, okay, I got to start performing. And I, I got to start doing it more frequently. And so that summer, 2012, is when I was like, you know what? Let me go to New York. I got friends in New York. Like, it'll be cute to be up there. I always wanted to connect with <laughs> people up there anyway. Let me just do it. Like, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to just go up there and try to get shows. Mind you, like, you know, New York is super competitive and super, like, no shade. It's very exclusionary, and it's hard to get gigs in New York. And so, you know, I just had the audacity to do, you know, try it out, and it ended up working out for me because I had a friend who was up there, and he was in the scene heavy in New York, like an underground dance party, fashion music scene with the cool kids the quick the cool queer kids in brooklyn and so he knew this party promoter that was doing a party that june and he and he recommended he recommended me to his friends to perform at that party and at the time i also created a music video in between the first time I was <laughs> you were like, in oh. it you're like this I, is I, it i was like see that i miss that young energy honestly because I, <laughs> like, I was like 21 and you know, when you young, you just don't care. You're just doing it. Like, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to do everything, you know, and not, in a way, it's yeah. good. It can make you a mess. But anyway, um, I sent them my song in this little, like, DIY Ricky Thing music video I did on green screen. And they was like, oh, this is dope. I love Baltimore Club music. Yeah, come up here. 
And, you know, I didn't think it was going to be like this big thing. And I ended up, when we got to the, the music venue, it was in Williamsburg before Williamsburg was gentrified. It was like the time when Williamsburg had a bunch of cool underground big warehouse venues. And it was like all the queer kids were there partying in Williamsburg. And it was, it was cool at the time. And it was like deserted. It was like, it was like nobody there for real. I ended up, when we got to the venue, I walk in and it's this huge warehouse with like hundreds of people in there. And oh I'm my like, what the, my, I was like, what the hell? My first gig in New York is like in front of like at least 500 people in an underground warehouse. <laughs> oh my God. And from there, it just kind of took off, you know, cause it was a lot of, you know, other party promoters in there. And people was, like, really impressed by my performance. So that whole summer, I had, like, gigs in New York, like, every weekend almost. And I came wow. back to Baltimore, and I just started performing. And it just started flowing and going and going. And honestly, I see myself more as a music performer than, a like, recording music artist, like, a studio. I see, like, the stage is really my practice. Like, performing on stage as a music artist is really my practice, honestly versus like producing it and making it. It's like, I feel like that's when like, you understand what I do as, as an artist. And then, yeah, from there, you know, I just started touring a bunch, performing a bunch. And that's how, you know, music was the, the gateway or like the platform that got me into doing other things, like more, you know, sound pieces, more community arts organizing and more visual art collaborations and stuff like that. So you mentioned uh, you were starting to get more into community work and social practice work. I feel like this is a great segue to start talking about As They Lay. Um, If you wouldn't mind, for listeners that are unfamiliar with the project, could you let them know about that and what sort of your goals were with that, how you've been adapting through COVID with that, and what your goals are, I guess, after COVID? (laughs) So as they lay, I launched as they lay last fall, two thousand nineteen, and essentially it is a programming and art making initiative that seeks to curate projects and community events that foster collaboration, creative action, and reflection. And I really just wanted to create a platform that curated a myriad of cultural programming art and art that will aid in the transformation for a more sustainable, inclusive nourishing and interconnected creative climate for artists living in Baltimore, specifically black artists and indigenous artists. And um, it was always something that was in the back of my mind. I have a history of like curating um, events and and projects in in, in Baltimore. Um, I started this party called Kalan in 2013 that kind of, it blew up and it reached a lot of folk and a lot of, we had a lot of artists come through a lot of music artists come through and essentially it was a party slash music show event that we did bi-monthly for like three, no, like four or five years. That was a, also another moment where I was like, oh, this is something that I really love to do. And I feel like it really encapsulates everything that I want to do as an artist as far as like providing space for people to come together, for people to feel liberated and safe and wanting to have fun, but also beaconing other artists and putting other artists onto, you know, different people and in front of different audiences um, all the time. But that kind of got overwhelming and we were doing a DIY, very independent. We didn't have investors. We didn't have money. 
we was a lot of it was coming out of our own pockets and I was like very young. I probably did that from the age of twenty two to twenty seven. And so it was it was a lot for me. And and on top of that, I just was really in my bag as an artist, as a solo artist. So I just wanted to focus on my practice solely at at the time when I ended Cologne. But wanting to curate and organize events for the arts and for community, it still was like very deeply something that I wanted to do. And that's why I started the podcast, because I was like, well, maybe this is something that I can do. It kind of does the same thing as far as like bringing people together, having conversations and dialogue, which I love to do, but also in front of the audience and, and, and highlighting, you know, maybe emerging artists or like unknown voices in, in the art mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know. So like, I felt like at the time that was the way, but then I realized, uh, I don't know if I really, really am into part, doing the podcast, podcast all the time, especially with, again, independently with no money. Like it's hard to do something like that mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. no money. I'm pretty sure y'all know. Um, <laughs> oh yes, we definitely know. It's a, it's a labor of love and not a moneymaker. <laughs> Surprise listeners. <laughs> And I was traveling a lot. I was touring a lot. Like 2017, mm. that was my first, I did my first tour twice. I did two tours in Europe. And, mm. you know, I was just in my bag. And like, you know, and I at those two York tours in Europe, you know, made more opportunities for me, even back here. And I was just like, so focused on that. So it, I feel like you kind of have to be stationary for a podcast. Um, and at some point in time, you know, as a music artist, it's all over the place as far as schedule. You can be chilling for two months, and then the next two months, you got shows back to back. And then, because you know, you never know what gig you're going, what's going to come in your inbox. So I was like, nah, I don't know if I can do that. And then um, I put that to rest in like 2018. And then, you know, for a year or so, I was thinking, like, I still want to do something. I want to create a platform that really, like, gets people together that also puts on other artists. I still want to do that. And now that I'm on mature, I know how to write grants and shit. Like, you know, yeah. like now I can, I was like in 2019, I was like, okay, maybe it's, 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 it's about time I produce or birth this as they lay thing. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of like, okay, maybe I should wait to 2020. The idea was to launch as they lay in 2020, but Last summer, I worked a gig at a local arts institution in Baltimore that's pretty powerful. And sitting in some of those meetings and, you know, seeing how things work, because I was always a critic of art institutions in Baltimore, because I felt like a lot of them didn't, wasn't doing enough. They wasn't really doing mm-hmm. much for the city, for the artists, for black artists, especially. And I was always a critic, and, you know, as an artist and didn't, you know. And so part of me like knowing the outside the outside things that they were doing like part of me like i still feel valid in that critique but honestly working inside the belly of the bees i didn't had no idea of how things really work and once i got in those rooms i really gagged and i was like oh y'all really don't know what the fuck y'all doing (laughs) y'all out of heart you know it's really a mess like it's it's and this is like not just Baltimore. I feel like arts institutions, museums especially, are so behind everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like in America, especially, like they just they a mess. We all know this. Like I feel like for the past year or two, a lot of people just been reading. Every month, you go see like some critique on some museum or art institution in America. Like whether it's the Whitney or, or somewhere mm-hmm. at home or whatever. Like you're gonna 
because they're a mess. They really just behind and like they not with the times and they're not inclusive at all. And so this was, you know, you can imagine a city like Baltimore where there's a lot of economic disparity. It's just magnified because, you know, in New York, you can see there's money. And I feel like maybe things get overlooked because these institutions in New York and um, not overlooked, but, you know, they get pushed to the side because in New York or D.C., they can have the money to shut people up. <laughs> so um, in Baltimore, that's not the case. And working inside the, the institution, I was like, you know what? No, I need to get this platform together because I think we all collectively come, come into this realization that we got to do it ourselves. We got to be our own institutions. We got to have our own mutual aid. We got to have our own funds. We got to create our own grants because, you know, it's just it's just a mess out here in the art world in, in America. And, you know, it, it, it starts from the top. The National Endowment for the Arts budget for America is trash. America does not support yeah. the arts. They try to cut. Trump is trying to cut art. It, or maybe he did or try to cut arts funding for, yeah. for America when it's not even nothing. You know, and, and, and yeah. overall, this country really don't respect art as not just something that brings people together, that makes people feel alive, but art is a necessary tool for the progress of humanity and society. You need artists as much as you need scientists, lawyers, doctors to provide a better place for us to live. You feel me? As a people. I feel like we all come into that realization that these institutions and our government, the state, is just not doing it. So we got to create our own stuff. We got to create our own shit, our own platforms, and after working at one of the most profound institutions in Baltimore and being so disappointed by the mediocrity, I was just like, no, we got to get this together. And so I launched it earlier than planned and um, I launched it that last last fall and it's been popping off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can talk. I can talk. I can talk. <laughs> No, this is amazing. And I I just want to fixate on that for a minute because I think it's such a powerful message for young artists, especially that you don't have to, you know, wait or you don't have to get permission to be able to do what you want to do. And, you know, I, I mean, Amanda and I are both coming from a background where, you know, we were fortunate to be able to go to a private art school. We, you know, we graduated and we're trying to figure out what that meant and what that would look like related to, you know, building a life and a career and, you know, what does it mean to be an artist for your life? And so, yeah, I think we still had a lot of those questions, but one thing that I do and and I see now because, you know, I'm I work also at an art school out on the West Coast and so I think for for young artists coming, especially from that environment, but you know, many that there is maybe this expectation that there are a finite number of you know channels to go through. Like if you want to show your work, then it has to be done through you know these venues or these galleries, or if you want to to get funding, that you've got to apply for these specific grants. And so I I think from our perspective, it just it, it really limits their options because you know again there's there is that displacing the ownership or you know the, the gatekeepers um to, to be able to do what they want to do and so i i love that you said that that you know as you get older there's this realization that you you've just gotta create the space yourself and um and it really seems like so much of what you 
are involved in and what you've done, whether the medium is different, whether it's performing on stage or as they lay or the podcast, that um, it's it's really about building community and um, creating space for people to come together, like you've said. So I, I just think that's that's amazing. And I, I hope that others listening are are recognizing that own power within themselves that they can, you know, make the things that they want. And also we what you're saying. That. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This this year especially has just exposed all of this. I think like you were mentioning, so many institutions are struggling to keep up. Um, and now, I mean, especially with a pandemic, we've seen that, you know, places are closed. Um, we don't even have the venues um, that we did. And so there is a real, maybe that's going to push or, you know, force some to have to adapt in order to survive. But but we'll see. And so if anything, I mean, it's just such a perfect um, time for for these conversations to occur. <laughs> right. yeah. There's never been a better time. <laughs> I mean, it's always the right time, but mm-hmm. now everyone's paying attention because they can't do anything else. Right. Right. Exactly. And I feel like this time might be an equalizer. Like it might and it might create a lot of space for things to be democratized. And that's why you see a lot of people popping up. That's why you saw like people, you know, having these protests across the nation because we sitting home and we're realizing like, oh, wait, we having the time to reflect about the world that we're in and like what is our role in like changing this world. And I feel like hopefully this is going to birth a lot of cultural, social, political and social political um, activism and like organizing and not just like for policy changes but again like you know for us to not wait for permission to do our own art shows to do our own guys also I feel like we need to like stop being so pressed to be like authenticated by these museums and like mm-hmm. these like you know I guess high esteemed like art institutions as if like they make you know, we got we basically got to take the power out of their hands. Like we have to really, because I feel like why should we be pressed? We should be, or if anything, we should be as pressed for our friends, our exhibition that they're trying to curate on their own with their own money, as much as we might be pressed to do something at MoMA PS One or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes we do, we do kind of get really excited and pressed by these like esteemed I guess art institutions as if you know what I'm saying they really make who we are as artists or they make our careers yeah yeah like not giving them the power to sort of validate our work and saying you know I'm making my work therefore it belongs in the world it you know an institution doesn't have to say it matters for it to matter <laughs> you need to tweet that oh my god <laughs> exactly exactly I would love to know how, obviously, as a musician who was doing a lot of touring before this, Mm -hmm. how has 2020 shifted the way that you're practicing as an artist and the way that you're kind of viewing your your practice moving forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because I feel like I feel blessed to be one of those artists who do a multitude of things like you know I do music I also write and I also do you know um, cultural organizing cultural cultural worker I have this platform as they lay so when things get tight in one department I feel like I can just flow to the next thing mm-hmm. and um, so yeah I was supposed to be in Europe for the summer and like touring over there I had a residency 
in Prague at um, Prague oh. Central Library that I was supposed to do that got canceled. And I was really disappointed. And also was supposed to perform at the Park Armory. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, for uh, their um, 100, 100 years, 100 women um, celebration, which was a big, huge deal for me. And that got canceled. But, you know, in a weird way, a lot of opportunities open, especially for SLA. And I've been able to do a lot of projects through SLA and, and, and during, during the pandemic, during COVID-19 and quarantine and stuff. And to me, it just it emphasized the importance of, I don't know, just having like community-based platforms and things that can still thrive despite like, you know, the chaos that, you know, we can happen in the world, you feel me? Because in a way, like, I can do Zoom performances, I can go on IG and perform, but for me, I'm just anti that. Like, for me, it's all about, performance is all about the in-real-life connection. Like, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Unless I have, like, Erica Badu money and I can have, like, <laughs> a really nice tech situation going on and great sound and, like, a band and it sounds good. Um, I'm not just, I'm not going to do it because it just won't feel the same for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was just like, you know what, I'm going to focus on a lot of SAV stuff. And, and, you know, the past couple months, we've done a lot. Like, we've done, like, a poster for Printed Matter and Press Press to raise funds for, like, social justice organizations. Uh, we had a Black Arts Legacy Fund to help Black um, women artists and Black LGBT, LGBTQ artists. In Baltimore, we did our first exhibition, a virtual exhibition with the Baltimore Museum of Art. It's been a bunch of stuff we've been doing and we got things in, in the work in, in, um, that we're working on that's coming out soon too. So it's been a good bless actually, as far as like elevating this platform that I just launched in, in November of 2019. So um, for, on one hand, it was kind of disappointing losing all those gigs and stuff. But on the other hand, it was like, nice that I was able to focus on as they lay and like lift that up more. Yeah, because I feel like people need things like that. People need things like as they lay, an independent arts platform, a curatorial independent arts platform. People need things like Beyond the Studio. I feel like people need more platforms that are by artists, for artists, but also for the people. Because again, like these art institutions, they've been coming to us in response to COVID. Like they've been coming up to us you know, for ideas to do projects, how to solve, how to be, you know, be resourceful during this time. And I feel, again, I feel like it's just illuminating how behind and like lacking they are. Cause it's just like, y'all have hella money. Y'all got like a staff of people that y'all employ on salary. Y'all have these curators and directors that make like six figures and y'all coming to us for ideas and projects. Like, in a way, they're trying to be like, oh, we're just trying to support artists. So, like, we're asking y'all to do the work for us. But at the same time, it's like, it's just showing me that we got the juice, honestly. We have the juice more than they do. And that's why I feel like we need to, like, have built stronger foundations and roots for our own stuff, for our own platforms and our own institutions and our own projects. Yes. Yeah. And I think just that spirit of like, you already have the answers, you already know what to do, just, you know, unlocking that within yourself and and taking those steps to realize something or make it happen is is so 
powerful because I think something I've also noticed too in working on the podcast um, and then also like I mentioned working at an art school is just the the difference in you know here's just Amanda and I too so it's a little bit easier right to, to, to make decisions or to make something happen but it's really just a matter of saying hey we want to do this and within a week you know we can be taking steps to, to make it happen and so Part of it could be, you know, the scale of the organization, but I also think it's just that that slow moving mechanism, like you mentioned, where there's just so many more conversations that have to take place. There's like a certain, you know, a, a level of, of bureaucracy and there's there's so many more things that have to happen, it seems like, to get anything off the ground. And so, yeah, it's it's been life giving for me to, to have the podcast to turn to because it is, you know, really a creative um, endeavor, and it's it's something that again we don't have to um, really wait for anyone else in order to move forward with, and so that's been a blessing. And in this time, I think you know things are happening so quickly, so that ability to just um, respond and to to evolve is is really critical, and um, I think that is where a lot of organizations are are struggling right now. So I also really appreciate what you said about having so many um, so many different aspects of your work and practice that you're able to to ebb and flow between. And this it seems like a season where you've kind of shifted focus into as they lay. Um, ha- have there been any elements of um, your work as a performer or you know any other aspects of what you would be doing? were it not 2020, that you have been able to um, to adapt or other ways that you have been thinking about either for this year or looking ahead at, um, you know, what that could look like? Yeah, um, so I feel like it, it actually has created space and opportunity to explore other aspects of being a music artist or a person who will sound into a, pro- a piece of art. And um, I've been actually wanting to create more sonic landscape art pieces for like film, video, or performance. And as I said before, I was supposed to perform at the Park Armory, but instead they were like, well, would you want to send us like some type of like, you know, piece of art or a video performance or something that we could upload online to like basically like extend the project virtually and to do it and so that we can still do something. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to create like a sound piece. And it was like, okay, cool. That's cool. And so I started working on this sound piece um, where I use like archive sound bites, clips of interview of like prominent black women figures in America. I created this piece called set it off of them. That involves like a, a interview clip of uh, Fanny Hammer and uh, Marsha P. Johnson, and basically I just warped their dialogue into into sound, and like I created a soundscape around um, their dialogue, and I also injected some poetry in it too. And so for me, it's actually this time has actually um, opened up ways, opened up for me a different way of like thinking about you know, doing sound art and and taking that, you know, to another step. Because also with SLA, with my collaborator and co-organizer, Carol Eugene, we've been creating, like, these video pieces where um, we create, you know, a soundscape 
for the video pieces and, and a lot of those video pieces uh, and both of the video pieces that we created, I'm also reciting poetry. So for me, it's been, yeah, it's been just an opportunity to see how can I like combine like my love for poetry, my love for music, my love for sound and my love for dialogue into one piece of art. Yeah, I've just been focusing on that really and like, I don't know. I feel like I'm still thinking about how can I perform this virtually. And honestly, I think I would rather perform kind of like a poetry sound performance virtually versus like a music performance because mm-hmm. I feel like that would translate better virtually and it would feel more like profound for me to do it that way. And what else did I work on? Oh, and that right now um, I'm actually working on a piece for this performance, this performance art piece that's based in movement that's going to be happening at the Andy Warhol Museum next year. So that's dope. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of like pushing myself to be more of like a sound artist, I guess, versus like a music artist. Or just doing sound art on top of the music stuff, which I've been really into because, you know, I'm getting a little older and not saying just because I'm getting older, I'm getting boring or like I can't do stuff. <laughs> But, you know, that tour life, that tour life is severe and it's it's a lot. So, like, I feel like doing the more, you know, stage, sound, art, poetry thing is kind of like, you know, something that I really, really want to do a lot in my 30s and not, you know, tour so much and just, you know, you know, show after show, day after day, barely eating type shit. You feel me? I don't want to keep doing that so much, you know, just to thrive as, as an artist and provide income for me i like the the museum or like the the art doing the um sound performance art thing in 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 the art space versus like you know dealing with annoying promoters at music venues honestly i've been telling my visual art friends and my performance art friends this for years i feel like they're more spoiled than music artists Honestly, I'm like, damn, does these um institutions, art institutions give y'all a lot more than what music venues give us? Music venues don't be caring. Don't be caring at all for music artists, honestly. But yeah, so that's 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 what you know, that what that is what quarantining and COVID has provided for me, like a space to like dig into other aspects of sound and poetry and stuff. Yeah. Where can we, uh, or can we watch the performance that you just mentioned earlier? Which one? The video that you created for the Park Armory, was it? Oh, wait. Yeah, so um, me and Corel created two videos. One is called What is Your Legacy? Mm. That was a part of Mickey Thomas's exhibition at the Baltimore, the Baltimore Museum of Art. And that's online. Um. Yeah, that's online. Um, I can see the link. They did a screening room thing in response to COVID to like showcase video art from um, artists in Baltimore. And so the, we have two videos. What is your legacy is one. And then the other one is, is called Imagining as a Praxis. And that's both in the screening room. I was seeing the link. And then um, I did a sound piece for the Park Armory. It's just audio. And that oh, will okay. be, I think that's going to be launched in, that's going to be launched in August, sometime in August. Okay. And then, I'm working on a piece, performance art piece, <laughs> that's going to be at the Andy Warhol Museum in November 2021. Okay. Wow, so you have a lot of lot of different projects on the go. 
I know it's crazy, but it's like it's it's it's, it's like it feels actually more intense in in the COVID in COVID society because it's like I don't know. I feel like people feel like they can power more on you because they think you're home sitting mm-hmm. sitting at home all day. So I feel like it's been kind of intense. We also, mm-hmm. as they say, is curating a um, video exhibition for September. That's going to be virtual called The Frequency of Us. Excellent. We can provide links to all of those so they'll be in the show notes so anyone listening can just pop into the links and go see what we're talking about. I'm curious how, and maybe you already talked about this a little bit, but like how COVID is affecting the way that you personally are working and the sort of what you're able to take on. And I know um, we've talked on the podcast in the past a little bit about how COVID is, uh, you know, for some an opportunity to have a residency at home and for others is is so exhausting. It's hard to even imagine creating. Um, so I'm really curious to hear how, how you're doing with that. Yeah, I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of like, I don't know. It's like I said, it was like May, June and early July was a lot. Like it was a lot because I like, again, I think that people feel like, I don't think people think that. I think a lot of people was just like, we need to do something. That's, that's, Let's do something. So it was a lot of things coming at us, and which was is a blessing. I feel like because I was down to work and down to do something, and, and I don't like just being in the house all day, not doing anything. So for for me, um, it, it's been okay. But then on the other end, like this month, I was like, oh no, I need a studio space. I need a studio space. It's been something that I've been um, trying to develop for a minute, or trying to get my hands on for a minute, and then you know. I was just like, I finally was like, I need to get a studio space because I've been, my current studio right now is at in my friend's basement. <laughs> and so that's not really ideal because it's kind of far from where I live and it's like my friend's basement. So right now I'm looking into like getting the studio closer to my home and like that feels more like a, a you know, a real studio space. But I think this, this time has definitely forced me to like, I don't know, it forced me to just think about how to like take my art practice further. And I think of having a studio space, a place where I can show up and work and leave my house to do, is like really important, I think, more profound. Because I've had a studio residency before and in New York at Pioneer Works. I don't know if y'all heard about Pioneer mm-hmm. Works. And that really changed my whole idea around art making and like, my productivity too. I mean, fuck productivity, but also like it. <laughs> it, it, made, it made me re- like it made me realize like, oh, this is why people want studios and like need studio spaces because I don't know what it is, but it's like being able to leave your house and show up somewhere and feel like you're at work for your mm-hmm. own stuff feels really nice, and I feel like it just makes you want to do more in, in, in that space. So yeah. now, especially as they lay, kind of like getting off the ground, I think I need a space where I can like make my work, but also be kind of like an office space for As They Lay. Yeah, that was a question I had related to As They Lay is, do you see this as always taking on many forms, being, you know, kind of nomadic or virtual, or do you envision this as, you know, any sort of physical space at some point? It seems like it's been very, it has manifested in a lot of different ways so far. And so I'm wondering when that project started, if you had had a, you know, a future vision for that, that has just evolved in response to this year, or what are some of your goals for that? Yeah, I feel like this has been like the idea of like the nomadic versus um, stationary physical space 
has been a conversation in like the art community. Been a popular conversation in the art community amongst my friends and my peers, especially mm-hmm. since since the start of COVID. And I think the idea of like my whole vision was for SLA to be no, nomadic because I actually been kind of saw the power of or the benefits of being a nomadic space and the freedom that comes with it. Because with a you know stationary physical space, you gotta worry about your landlord if you don't own a building, which a lot of us can't afford to own a building. So like you gotta deal with your landlord, you gotta deal with paying rent every year. You have to basically you kind of like gotta really immerse yourself in like the capitalist hamster wheel, just like trying to keep your thing going and like you know flowing mm-hmm. and. You have a stationary space if you have a stationary physical space but if you're a nomadic platform or a nomadic gallery or you know a nomadic you know collective whatever you kind of have the advantage of just like for one not having to worry about you know those kind of costs and then two you know you can just do your thing anywhere you just pop up and go and you know you can get you can probably actually get a lot more funding, I feel like, for just, like, your individual projects on top of, like, you trying to get funding for the space itself and then also, like, mm-hmm. the, the project you're trying to do. So, for me, I see a lot of advantages of, of being nomadic, especially with, like, you know, real estate politics and and all that kind of stuff because, you know, in a year or two, you might not be able to afford the space because it's the area your spaces and have been gentrified, you know, you might get kicked out because this landlord wants to make it like a bougie, you know, art, you know, I mean, it makes it, you want to make it like a, a bougie condo, you know, apartment building or whatever, which they use artists, you know, artists are often used to gentrify neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel like in a way you can avoid a lot of like bureaucratic bullshit if you're a nomadic space. For me, I think also when you're nomadic, it gives you more space to be adaptable and it makes you it expands your capacity to like operate for community to serve community needs and artist needs it makes you be able to have more flexibility and fluidity to provide for community and and to serve you know the artists that you're trying to serve i feel like and um that's something that i definitely wanted as they later be i wanted to be fluid and i want the programming to match what you know the needs of the artist community in Baltimore. A lot of time, you know, I'm in conversation and dialogue with my peers and you know younger artists, especially the, the ex. Like, what they want? What do y'all? What do y'all think needs to happen in in Baltimore as far as like changing the creative climate and what kind of programming or projects y'all would like to see? And I feel like you know, again, being an independent platform and organization, and then being nomadic on top of that actually makes you um, be able to be more of a resource and tool for community versus, you know, even being a nonprofit or being like, you know, a stationary art institution or gallery space. I feel like you have to buckle to, you know, the gatekeepers in your city or community or, you know what I'm saying? You have to be at the hands of like investors or people with social economic capital that you don't care to have to serve all the time. You feel me? It makes mm-hmm. you more more able to be for community and be a more democratized like art institution or organization or collective. It gives you a lot of agency and autonomy, honestly. And I think that's what anybody, you know, who wanna create any type of creative platform 
to try to strive for. Because it's like we've seen over and over again independent art institutions or platforms or organizations or, you know what I'm saying, you know, get popular and then, you know, they have all this money poured into them or this like organized, this big organization or corporation or whatever wants to own them and then like they become something that they weren't or they disappear or they end up getting kicked out of their own project. And even though you might be in a groove, you might be making a lot of money. It's like, I think we're realizing it's all that worth it, you know, and going back to like being validated by, you know, elitist like art institutions and still being able to like, cause we see over and over again, visual artists who are lifted up and like praised and like they're in all these exhibitions, they have social and they kick to the curb when the next bitches, the next popular bitches come in. It's like, what is it all for yeah. just to be like, you know, in New York Times or like our form or whatever for this year or a couple of years and then, you know, just be forgotten about or like, what are we doing? You know, what are we? Mm-hmm. I just think that we just need to try to be as autonomous and like detached from like these gatekeepers and these arts institutions and these people with money as much as possible. Oh, there are so many things there. Um, I love the, <laughs> I love all of it. Um, I mean, I, I hate all of the structural issues, but I love everything that you said there. I feel like the spirit of as they lay as a collective sounds so much or a project sounds so much as the the spirit of an artist as an individual, like being resourceful and being adaptable. And and Nicole and I are constantly talking about how artists are so much more powerful than we often realize because we constantly have to figure out how to do things for ourselves, how to make space for ourselves, how to advocate for ourselves and how to, to market ourselves. I mean, we wear all of the hats, so it would make sense that artists have a lot of the solutions or at least some of them and ways to bring some kind of balance to the system or accountability or shift. Mm-hmm. That's why they yes. come with that. That's why they come with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they yeah. recognize that you know what's up. <laughs> yeah, um, you bring up an interesting point too about how to how to grow a, a project um, in a way that you know allows it to be sustainable but remain open and fluid to to continue to evolve. Um, which is a lot easier said than done because when you think about like growing, you know, something long term, you know, maybe you're thinking about scaling it. And so I think there's that natural, um, like adding more structures in place seems, seems like that, that path. But, um, what you're describing makes me think a lot about a conversation that we had with the artists, Mario Ibarra Jr. and Carla Diaz, who, um, run a space, um, and they have a physical space, uh, called Slanguage Studio, um, in LA. And they were talking about how, and they've been running this for years, but have intentionally decided not to become a a nonprofit or to go that route so that they could remain really flexible to the needs of their community. And if they wanted to, you know, offer classes or to make it, you know, sort of an exhibition space or to to have these nomadic projects, they they could do all of those things. And while, you know, they do have a, a space that's rooted um, where they are, they don't have all of the same, all of those other limitations that you're talking about. So I thought their story was interesting because they've they've been able to grow it, but um, making that decision not to not to impose some of these um, structures so that they could keep it really fluid. Exactly, because if you have a nonprofit, you have a board, and you got to answer to them, or you mm-hmm. got to answer to people that give you money. You 
for me. So, mm-mm. Yeah, and I understand because if you're going the the grant making route, you know, there are these sort of fundraising benefits. But I think also like what what we've even seen this last year is there there are ways to circumvent that. Maybe no route is I don't know one's easier than the other, but there there is always a path. I think that's probably one major lesson we've taken away from you know talking with anyone but there there are ways and I feel like we've seen so many you know mutual aid efforts um in response to this year and you know people that are willing to support so those people are out there and um you know again you don't have to to go this one route in order to just open up these funding streams um there there are other ways exactly this might be a little well this is a little bit of a shift but um and maybe like a, a heavy or light question, but uh, if there is anything that you could say to young artists right now that are kind of feeling overwhelmed <laughs> or lost or um, I don't know, I guess if you just had any advice for young artists that are trying to figure it out. You know, I love my children. I love my youngins. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to be in conversation with a lot of a lot a lot of young people um, this past year or two because you know even though I'm still young, okay, I'm still yes, we are yes, young. we are all, but I am you know a little seasoned. I am a little grounded and like I've done a lot of work. You know, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, and you know I am you know yeah. So for you know young people, they probably see it, you know. At, see us as like, you know, mentors and stuff like that. So I've been trying to be more in my mentorship bag and, you know, in conversation with a lot of Gen Z <laughs> young people, they just seem, um, I think millennials, we were fortunate to kind of exist before and after the internet to have like a youth before the internet, but mm-hmm. also be young enough to still experience like the birth of it, like social media and everything. But all they know is social media. Like all they know is like, performing online, existing online, performing identity online, existing online, and only, you know, showcasing themselves when, like, they're ready for people to see them and, like, curating this perfect way of, of this perfect identity or image or aesthetic to be displayed publicly on social media. So I feel like they get caught up in people having to validate them in order to, like, do something. And again, going back to, like, not waiting for permission to do the things you want to do. I think they have a hard, 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 hard time with that. And I just want to say, just like, do your projects, do, you know, write your book, you know, start your podcast, curate your own exhibitions, you know, put your own art out there, do your own albums and don't wait for permission. Don't wait for someone to, you know, give, give, give you whatever you think you need in order to create, what you want to create, you know, do it at any cost, at any level. You don't always need, you know, a bunch of money to create dope art or for it to be seen. Like, just do, just do the damn thing and don't wait for it. Don't be so, don't get too caught up in like your, your mind and get too caught up with the idea of executing something perfectly. Like, cause it's never going to be perfect and you shouldn't try to strive for perfection. You should just, Try to strive for beauty and to everything about beauty, everything that's beautiful to me is imperfect. So I feel like people, young people just need to just like get out of their head, woo calm down a little bit, <laughs> and just 
do the damn thing. Output at 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 whatever cost and by any means necessary, and not have to wait for validation or permission to do to do the work because the work is necessary, and we need the work right now, and we need it especially from young people. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I know one of the reasons Nicole and I started the podcast was because we recognized there was such a staggering difference between the perception of what being an artist looks like and the reality of what being an artist looks like. And it's a lot harder and it's a lot more behind the scenes work and it's a lot more business than you expect as an artist and as a creator. And you kind of think, and maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like it's easy to think when you're first starting out that if you create the work and it's good, it will survive and it will <laughs> it will make you successful and make it all okay. But it's so much more involved than that. You <laughs> so, know what? I laugh. About, I laugh because that's how I feel. I talk about that all the time. You know, when I first started, I was like. Yeah, I'm gonna create this dope thing. Everybody gonna love it. This and that, but like, no, it's way more like making an art is honestly forty percent of the the job. Like getting out of there, building relationships and all that. That's like most of what it what it means to thrive as a music artist. I mean, as any artist, and I think especially with Gen Z and them just seeing always like the product or the end result of things, they don't really. Mm-hmm understand that it's a lot more work than just doing the work and having these awesome ideas because a lot of people have awesome ideas and a lot of people make a, a lot of dope work and unfortunately you know there's not enough platforms and money and investment for everyone to be seen and have that visibility and to thrive so you got to do a lot of work to to get that kind of success as an artist and unfortunately too to be an artist our industry is not is not as structured as you know the medical industry or the educational industry. It's not a one track structure to be an artist. There's so many different ways you can go about it. So mm-hmm. being an artist is also just always constantly again, like as we just talked earlier, figuring out how to do it, how to be an artist, what's the next move, like how can we sustain this, how yeah, and how can we continue our practice? You feel me? And it's always about figuring out, you know, the next step constantly because it isn't a finite structure of being an artist in, in, in America. You know, in Europe, I feel like they're more supported economically. The country support the arts more. Um, and so you see a lot of artists there being able to have more sustainable, traditional careers as artists where they can have a house, a family, all that because... For one, they have healthcare, and then two, universal healthcare, and then two, they have like Germany and France, like put so much money into the arts, mm-hmm. and like you know they shit on our budgets, you know, American budgets for for, for the arts, and so I feel like they did, they don't understand the process, they don't they don't see the process, and understand that it's 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 a process to do what to do what we do as artists and to be successful. And unfortunately, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's not a lot of compromise. I hate saying that. I hate when people say, well, you got to compromise. No, it's a lot of sacrifice because I shouldn't have to compromise anything to do what I want to do, especially when it's for the greater good of humanity, which I think are. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I feel like they just don't don't understand that, like, yeah, sometimes. And, you know, it's not just young people. It's a lot of people. Sometimes, you know, 
Well, not sometimes, it's all the time about the process, honestly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Abdu, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so amazing to talk with you. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure to share? Anything else that you're working on that you'd want to let people know about? Yeah, we have this exhibition coming out. I said this before, but we have an exhibition that we are um, dropping in in September titled The, Frequ- titled the Frequency of Us which is going to be a video exhibition, an ephemeral video exhibition featuring Black artists who use archival content and media in their video film work. And uh, yeah, that's going to launch, in, I think, September the 17th. But yeah, you know, just support, you know, independent art, art projects, support independent artists, and, you know, figure out who's doing what in your communities, and start building the relationships with them to, um, you know, get shit popping. And, and, and you know, I think it's important for us to support, you know, our local artists. And I always say this, the work is the relationship and the relationship is the work, honey. And, you know, again, being an artist is, is not just about creating the art, it's about the process and also developing, you know, beautiful, intimate relationships with your artist community and, and the people in in your community that's doing amazing work. And that's how we keep our shit popping. That's how we keep our shit alive. Oh. Yes, yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I'm so inspired by you. <laughs> it's been such an honor. Thanks for talking to yeah, us. No, thank you for having me. If y'all need anything from me, because I listen to y'all podcast like it's so and I love what y'all are doing. Thank so you. Oh, thank let's you. Keep this, let's keep this, you know, dialogue continuing for sure. Yeah. Yes. We love that. Um, Nicole and I often talk about how through the podcast, you know, we we do it very well, selfishly and kind of selflessly, where, you know, we want to have these conversations for ourselves so we can learn from other artists, but we also want to record those conversations so that everyone has the chance to learn together. But it's been such a great opportunity to build connections and to to create friendships and I feel like most if not all of our guests that we've talked to we've been able to keep up with and and stay close with and friends with and be able to to continue to support each other's projects moving forward and that's the damn spirit of the artist right there (laughs) Uh, y'all based in New York y'all based in New York um I'm actually based in Baltimore I'm uh oh Oh, dope 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 okay yeah, that's where Amanda and I met initially, um, but I moved out to San Francisco about three years ago, so that's where I am now. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, babe, we definitely got to connect. Yes, yeah, hopefully once the uh, social things start happening again, I'll, I'll actually run into you in person at some things. Before we go, um, just so listeners can know where they can find you online, where they can find As They Lay online, um, and how they can support you in As They Lay. Yeah, so yeah, just follow us on the ground. Follow me on the ground. That's where I'm most active, honestly. Um, it's just Abdu underscore underscore Ali, and then as they lay Instagram is literally as they lay on Instagram. If you want to support us, we do have a Patreon, and we also have you just donate through PayPal donations for as they lay. Um, yeah, so which is on our Patreon too. So yeah, great, excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank y'all. I'm excited to hear this. Thank y'all. 
that's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Yeah, it sounds like things started to really just evolve organically. Oh yeah. my gosh, your puppy's so cute. He wants to want to come and say, Welcome to the podcast. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>